G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Forty years ago, a book about evangelism became very, very popular, began to make ripples around the world. It was called Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World, and in its 40-year history, it quickly became a bestseller known as one of the most important books on evangelism shelves in a generation. The author, Rebecca Manley Pippet, is joining us today as our very special guest on the occasion of the release of a brand new book for a new generation. The new book is called Stay Salt. The world has changed, our message must not. It may be timely in what is now considered by some to be a post-Christian world and this year in the grip of coronavirus. While keeping quiet has been the default position for many Christian believers, Rebecca Manley Pippet reminds us that in the world of COVID-19, more than ever, people need Jesus. Rebecca Manley Pippet is on the line with us today from the United States. Rebecca, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you so much. I absolutely love Australia. Been there several times, and um, it's just lovely, lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Well, you've been here several times. In your mind, you've got an image of what the Aussies are like. Where's home for you? We're talking to you from home in the US right now live, and we'll be able to invite listeners in, but where's home for you? Yes, it is Michigan, although we travel a great deal around the world, but our home in the US is in Michigan in a town called Holland. Michigan, uh, where a lot of Dutch people live, <laughs> and I am not Dutch, but I'm married to a Dutchman, so that is where we live, and it's May, which should be, I know for Australia, it's now getting into the winter for you, but it's actually still quite cool here in Michigan, so we may be both wearing sweaters at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Cooling down in lots of parts of Australia and other parts are still experiencing really more summery sort of weather, so things a little bit different mm. in different parts of the nation. Hey, let's talk about the book you wrote 40 years ago before we start talking about your new book. 40 years ago, you wrote your first book and Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World became very popular and pick, people picked up on the uh, the uh, the th- sorts of things you talked about by way of conversations about the Christian gospel. Mm-hmm. Take us back to what life was like 40 years ago as you're talking about Western civilization, the West, and reaching out yeah. to people. And we'll, we'll get into how things change. Well, when I was in my 20s is when I wrote the book, and I had been on staff with a Christian organization called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and I was working at universities. And I, I realized then um, that it was, there was an approach to evangelism in America that was sort of, um, you go up, 
you preach the gospel, <laughs> uh, you don't engage, uh, relationship wasn't considered that important, you just preach and leave. And I looked at Jesus, and I kept looking at the Gospels and thinking, that is not the way he went about evangelism. He listened. He had great compassion. He asked a lot of questions. He found out where that person was. He didn't preach first. Um, he, he asked questions first. And I thought, this just isn't the way that is going to be effective. And so at that point... It was very radical to talk about this incarnational approach to evangelism. And um, so that was the, the sort of incarnational model that I was using, that we walk alongside, we come alongside of people, we speak the truth, but we speak it in love. Now, none of that has changed. That is still very, very important, and we still use the Jesus way, the Jesus model. But the world has changed considerably since I wrote that book. Let's stay with 40 years ago, because 40 years ago, we're talking about, you know, 1979, 1980, when you first released that book. And uh, when you say an incarnational model, when we think of the incarnation, God with us is God making his home among us. So if we're Mm -hmm. talking about an incarnational model for ourselves, we're talking about being a part of the lives of others. Uh, That's That's the sort of thing you're talking about there? Absolutely. That we, um, Jesus pitched his tent uh, and and related to people, um, got to know people in a sense you could say learning their language, you know, yes, of course, I'm not just speaking about um, uh, the fact of, of the native language just as we speak English, but you're trying to understand, wanting to understand who people are. What are their obstacles to faith? What kind of questions do they have? So we ask a lot of questions. We find out where they're coming from. Then we're much more able to communicate the gospel effectively. So first you need to, an incarnational model, in other words, a relational model, we can use that word, a relational model, whether it's a stranger on a plane that we're getting to know or somebody that we know in our world, I think the principles are the same. It's caring, it's compassion, it's asking questions, it's finding out what blocks them in faith. And so you begin by investigating. Then... The other thing that I saw Jesus do again and again is that you, you not only investigate, you stimulate. Jesus was always rousing people's curiosity. He was so different than what they expected. And, and so he, he roused people's curiosity, and then uh, he shared the good news. But the other interesting thing about that is, in a sense, the gospel is the same, but but... He, the way that he would introduce the topic, let's say, varied completely depending on the person he was speaking to. So that is why you see him speaking in such different ways. To Nicodemus, and, you know, John 3, you've got to be born again. But to the woman at the well in John 4, he talked about thirst. And when you're really thirsty, and you have to keep coming back all the time because you're so thirsty. And the water that I give will well up to eternal life, and you'll never be thirsty. Well, he was addressing, in a sense, uh, a profound thirst in her. It was spiritual, 
but it, but she didn't know it. So she was going from man to man to man, and what is she had five husbands, and the man she was living with now was not her husband. Jesus brings up. Um, so what he said and the the way that he shared the gospel, the essence of the gospel is the same, but the manner in which he approached people was very different because he paid attention to who they were. Forty years ago, things were very different too by way of, and it would be similar in the US as to Australia, uh, the idea that things were a lot more Christian 40 years ago and things have yeah. begun to deteriorate. Yeah. People these yeah. days, they talk about a post-Christian era. Not everybody agrees with that because there's big shifts all around the world. But for Western societies, certainly, yeah. we do appear to have deteriorated in our Christian influence. What are your thoughts about the changes that have happened by way of the way people talk about, think about, accept Christianity over those 40 years? Right. Um, I think the, there's a huge difference in the global south and the global north. The global north being the west, it's Australia, it's um, Europe, uh, it's, it's North America. Um, all right, so that's secular west. And that, even though even in those continents there's still huge differences, Nevertheless, it's been secularized. Very, very different in Asia, Africa, South America. Um, it is where evangelism is, is just, you know, tremendously um, exciting. And whereas it, it is, you know, hard, much harder ground uh, in, in the secular West. Now, why is that? Well, the world today, from when I wrote Out of the Salt Shaker, when I started writing Stay Salt, I thought, and the reason I did it was because I knew, though the gospel had not changed, the world has. And we need to be able to know how to speak in to this world. So what are some of the changes? And I do believe the West, by the way, is post-Christian, post-truth, you know, but that's not true of the whole world. Okay, what are some of the changes? Certainly, the collapse of the belief in absolute truth would be a significant change. The idea, when I, I was writing <clears throat> 40 years ago, there still was a, an understanding of authority, that, that truth had a certain authority. Now it's gone from authority to personal preference. There's an understanding that you can kind of pick whatever you want, cafeteria style. I'll take a little karma here, and I'll put a little of this there. And it doesn't seem to matter that the beliefs that a lot of people have are completely uh, um, contradictory with each other. The premise of their beliefs is different. And I think one of the reasons why it doesn't bother people to have contradictory beliefs is because they don't believe truth exists anyway. Another thing is the sexual revolution. I mean, there have been so many things that have changed. And in America, I think m- most peop- countries in the West still think of America as um, being much more religious. Now, it has become so much more secularized. We lived in Europe for seven years and just came back about two years ago. And when we came back, I said to my husband, Dick, we have come home from our future. Because the secularism that has been prevalent for so long in the U.K. and all around the continent, um, we're catching up fast. And so Christians are intimidated by the media, the cultural elites that are in just so increasingly hostile. 
um, to true Christianity. So those are some of the differences that I think um, that we need to contend with. However, I want to add one more thing, Neil. Yep. And that is one of the things that I found so exciting living in Europe, and we traveled everywhere, both doing evangelism ministry for churches and a lot for university, university students, but doing training and then also doing the work of an evangelist. And that is what I saw was such an openness in unbelievers to engage in spiritual conversation. If you did it the right way, I mean, if you weren't preaching at them and listening to them and all that. And what I saw is that secularism cannot really address their deepest longings, their deepest needs. God has placed in all of us a longing for identity and meaning and purpose. And even though our unbelievers can't quite articulate what it is they feel that they're missing, it's there. And so one of the things that needs to give us confidence is that God has made us for himself, and there is more openness than we imagine. Um, and so I think we need to go in, in that confidence that God has called us, but there is a hunger. I, I, I saw it again and again. I can't help but think, when Jesus was communicating to those that listened to him in the first century, being relevant, being thoughtful, being effective. He used parables. And those mm. parables were all about the people in their setting, and it was communicating yeah. those deep things. I wonder whether, when we tell testimonies and we engage in conversations, we're not actually doing something similar with our own parables that might have had their own strength 40 years ago when you wrote your first book, and perhaps those parables and testimonies and the way we discuss things changes for our new generation. What are your thoughts about yes. the way the message carries through the stories we tell? Yes, I, and there are two, there's two aspects to storytelling in evangelism. The first is uh, the good news of the gospel, that, of Jesus, of who Jesus is. And, of course, those are biblical stories. But the second, well, they're biblical stories, and there's the gospel itself. But then the second aspect is our story. Now, our story isn't the gospel. Our story illustrates the power of the gospel. And so I think learning to tell our story is terribly important. But I think what we don't realize is how um, fascinated non-Christians are when we expose them to who Jesus is, to his stories. One of the things I'm very, I, we, we've done all over the world, I mean Asia and South America, Africa, and especially in Europe, is we kept in, encouraging Christians, when they're engaged in spiritual conversations with their non-Christian friends, to at some point say, you know what, your questions are great and I really appreciate them, and you're really bright, but I get the impression you've never read one of the biographies of Jesus. Have you ever actually read the New Testament as an adult? And almost always we would hear no. Um, and, and I would always say, oh, listen, you will love it. You need to take a look at what Jesus was like. He was absolutely fascinating, exasperating powerful. Uh, you, you, let's take a look. Let's just look at one of the stories of Jesus. Now, what I call that is a seeker 
Bible study, a Bible study that is for non-Christians. And I've written um, several um, seeker Bible study guides because I've done this so, so many times and I've seen it happen all over the world. And let me tell you something. You don't have to believe in Jesus to uh, look at the Bible. You don't have to believe the Bible's the Word of God. Um, all you have to do is just look and see what you think. How can you make an intelligent decision if you never look at the primary source material of the biographies of Jesus? And this is what I've learned, Neil. When you bring people into the presence of Jesus, he is so beautiful. He is so wonderful, and he's such a shock. Uh, one of my, uh, I, I've done a seeker Bible study guide in Luke. I've done another one in John. And one of my first studies in John is when Jesus comes in in John 2. In fact, it is the first study. And he is so angry because they, the religious leaders uh, in, in the temple are so hypocritical, and they are overcharging um, pilgrims that are coming, you know, for the festivals and all that. And Jesus goes in and, of course, turns the tables upside down, furious with their hypocrisy. Now, this is such a great study to do with non-Christians, because I, I wasn't raised a Christian myself, and I remember the first, I was the first person to become a Christian in my family, and I remember reading that story and going, wow. I never knew Jesus, and I had anything in common. I don't like hypocrites, and boy, he doesn't either. But I've never been so mad at a religious hypocrite that I'd trash a room. And I went, he is so different. That's when I, And then the very next study, by the way, after John 2 is John 4, the woman at the well where you see him engaged in a woman nobody else would give the time of day because she was immoral in a traditional culture. And so as you begin looking at these stories and you begin seeing what Jesus is like, it is so powerful. And I think we, we often think of telling our story, which is really, really important. But oh my goodness, expose your friends to the stories of Jesus. It, there's just nothing like it. We call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but... A lot of people will relate, just as you say, Becky, to the idea that these are biographies about Jesus. Our special guest this hour is Rebecca Manley Pippet. Her first book was Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World, written 40 years ago. Her new book is called Stay Salt. The world has changed. Our message must not. It was only released just a few days ago. Rebecca Manley Pippet is our guest. Our talkback line is open. A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Our special guest is Rebecca Manley Pippet, who wrote her first evangelism book 40 years ago. And let me say, she's got a new book out called Stay Salt, The World Has Changed, Our Message Must Not. And uh, look at the number of endorsements that have come from the likes of Timothy Keller, who was the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church, the likes of Oz Guinness, of D.A. Carson, the founder of the Gospel Coalition, and the foreword by apologist and speaker Ravi Zacharias. And Rebecca, you've got some great endorsements there. No doubt over the years, some of those names have become your close friends. Yeah, that's right. 
was just thinking that of how many of the marvelous friends exactly wonderful wonderful people yeah but I, I was very uh, moved by the, the endorsements I really was let's talk about uh, how the way that our attitude might have changed over 40 years somehow or other and occasionally we'll raise this sort of topic on this program about why Christians are often reluctant to share their faith you've noticed some change over the decades yeah that's an excellent question and I think um, I think one of the reasons why we're reluctant is we don't realize that evangelism is that God is the great evangelist, that it is, we think, oh, it's all up to us, you know, but that's not true. It is, we have a part to play, but God is the great evangelist, and he is delighted to use us in our weakness. Now, I want to go back to that in a second. But another thing is I think we're reluctant because we don't understand what evangelism is. You know, you say the word evangelism, and I am amazed by how many Christians think it means preaching a memorized outline to some victim and then running away, when in fact, as we said in the very beginning, we need to be engaged with people and have authentic relationships with people, take their questions seriously. I also think we have redefined evangelism in a way that isn't biblical. Now, I I don't know if this is true in Australia, but, oh, my goodness, I hear this all the time in America. And what I hear is, well, our task is to demonstrate the gospel, not tell the gospel. And what I hear endlessly quoted is the idea that's attributed to Francis of Assisi, uh, preach the gospel, and then, if necessary, use words. Now, first of all, there's no historical evidence that Assisi ever said that, but if he did say it, he was wrong. Biblical evangelism always involves, uh, it involves three things, really. It is, one, uh, it's who we are, that we demonstrate uh, Christ's love and character and truth in who we are. Secondly, it's what we do, and that's where justice definitely fits into the picture, where we care uh, and, and demonstrate acts of compassion, and we care about Jesus, about justice. But the, the primary thrust, I have to say, in the Gospels and the Apostolic Church is that, that it must be proclaimed. It is verbal. It is not just visual in what we do, but it's verbal. And that is where we're so very, very weak, in the West particularly. So one of the things I I really was focused on when I was writing um, this new book, um, Stay Salt, The World Has Changed, The Message Must Not, is I thought about what do I hear every single time, no matter where I am in the world, what do I always hear um, in terms of why they can't? Uh, share their faith. The first thing I always hear, this is absolutely the number one thing. I'll have people say, Becky, listen, I would witness, I would, but I can't. I go, why? And they go, because I'm so inadequate. And I always say, well, of course you're inadequate. I'm inadequate. We're all inadequate. Where did you ever get the idea that God was using us because we're great evangelists. You know, it's so significant to me that when the Lord uh, calls us, 
to go into the world, he doesn't say, go ye therefore, all ye extroverts, uh, all ye scripture memory buffs, okay, and all you evangelists, go and make disciples. He does not refer to gifts. He does not refer to personality type. He said, go ye therefore, all of you, and just be my witnesses. So the thing that gives us such confidence is God knows we're weak. He knows we're inadequate. He knows we're not going to be able to answer every single question. And remember when the Apostle Paul said to the Lord, oh, take away this thorn in the flesh. It's driving me crazy. I don't like being weak, in other words. And what did the risen Christ say to Paul from heaven? No. I'm not going to take away your thorn in the flesh because my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul goes, okay, so I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Uh, Becky, you're in Michigan. We're hearing all sorts of dreadful reports about coronavirus and the effects and so many tens of thousands who've died. I wonder whether, as we get our conversation underway for this part of uh, the hour, I wonder whether you've got any thoughts on developments in the U.S.? Yes. um, One of the interesting things has been uh, I've been able to be, first of all, on a lot of Zoom conferences, people wanting to know sort of my take on it. And the thing that I have seen, both in stories around the world, but also the reports in America and my own experience, is there is a spiritual openness right now that is really quite remarkable. But in one way, it's not surprising, because, Neil, when catastrophe at this level, when it hits, it gets everyone's attention. I mean, who would have imagined that we would have a global pandemic uh, that has had this impo- impact? Now, are there, is there anything good that can come out of something that bad? And I think there is, um, and, and this is not to diminish in any way the horrors. I mean, I, I oh my goodness, I have friends that have experienced um, just some devastating things. But w- what could possibly be a gift out of catastrophe? It's as if the fog has lifted and we can see reality more clearly. And what people begin to realize is, wait a minute, I'm not in charge. I am not the master of my destiny. And they're realizing they're more vulnerable than than they could have imagined. And, and there's an openness. I just got a call from an agnostic friend, and she said, she would always say to me, uh, oh, Becky, I'm, I'm the master of my destiny. I'm in charge. But this time what she said was, You know, the coronavirus has opened my eyes because for the first time I've seen I'm not in charge. When a simple organism can bring the world to a halt, she said, uh, it's humbling. And you realize not only am I not in charge, but I never have been and I've always known it. And I said, wait a minute, you never sounded like you always knew it. And she said, you know, when a crisis like this comes, it makes you more honest. And do you know why I always said I was God, but you know why I know I'm not God? 
if I'm God, what kind of God needs to be taking meds for anxiety? She said, that isn't, that isn't the kind of God I want to follow. And Becky, I'll tell you this, I hope for the first time, I'm hoping there is a God. And uh, I realize that if I'm God, I make a really lousy God. And I said, so do I. And I said, let me tell you something. I was an agnostic once, and one of the things I realized is that being God, attempting to be God, is way above my pay grade. And do you know what? She is open for the first time, open to looking at the person of Jesus in the Gospels. So there is an openness, and we need to be able, we need to prepare right now, as we're in this time of isolation and social distancing, This is exactly why I wrote my book, Stay Salt, so that we would know what to say and how to be able to reach out to people, um, you know, in in crisis or in calm. So we need to prepare, but we also need to reach out. We need to be calling our non-Christian friends and and FaceTiming and Zooming and going, how are you? I want to know how you are. What kind of questions do you have? And tell me where you're struggling I want to pray for you, and maybe asking them at the right time if they'd like to look at who Jesus is. You have to do that at the right time. But there is an openness, and I don't want us to miss our moment. This really is a remarkable time. There is an openness, and when you're in communication with your friends, uh, there'll be a right time to be able to raise those issues around this good news of the gospel. Let's take some calls. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. First of all, let's hear from Chris in Ararat in Victoria. Chris, welcome along. Oh, hello. Good morning, Anne. Um, I just would like to say how uh, when I first became a Christian on the 23rd of August, 1983, my good friend who led me to the Lord... He gave me a Bible, the Good News Bible, and that was called a paraphrase of the Bible. And that was really good to have the words simplified, but every verse was still correct. And Mm -hmm. my mum gave me a King James Bible, and it was just too hard to understand. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Then I got myself an NIV Bible to go to a year of Bible college. Um, And since then, I've got a new King James, which I, I find really good. I love it. I love it. So when we talk about the idea of, uh, you know, how things change in the delivery of the old, old story, the message of the gospel, there's a certain sense in which uh, our biblical translations have changed and that makes it easier to communicate. And so, uh, but what are your thoughts here, Becky, for, uh, for Chris in Ararat? Oh, I think, Chris, you are exactly right that it is a wonderful thing when you find a translation that is accurate uh, but that is also readable and accessible. And particularly when, and I want to encourage you, Chris, to be praying and saying, God, who are the non-Christians in my life that I can de- keep developing a friendship with? But at the right time, ask them, hey, have you ever taken a look at who Jesus is? Just, just think of it like a book club. They don't have to believe the Bible's the Word of God. I always say, think of it like a book club, but let's take a look. But, of course, what you know and we know, I know, is that this is much more powerful. Uh, that this is far more than just a, a book club. 
but the power of the word speaks so much to unbelievers. It's really amazing. So take that love you have for Scripture and share it with an unbeliever. Chris from Ararat, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join our conversation. Let's take another call. Shelby is in Brisbane. Hi, Shelby. Hello, uh, Neil. Uh, uh, Rebecca, how is going? Really good. What are your thoughts, hey, Shelby? Great. Yeah, mate, look, um, I'm just loving what uh, Rebecca's saying, and I want to get onto her books. I want to get the name correct, uh, your, your last name, if I can, uh, Rebecca. Uh, it's um, Rebecca sure. Manley Pippet. Let me just say M A N L E Y Pippet, P I P P E R T, to get a hold of Rebecca's books. And there is a Rebecca's website is beckypippet.org. Becky, B E C K Y, pippet.org. Yeah, good. Okay. Now, the question I did want to ask uh, Rebecca, if I could, Becky, is, um, mate, um, I love the uh, Gospels. Yes, I lead people to them uh, quite frequently. Matter of fact, we're only just in them on the weekend. Um, but the thing is, um, is there a, a an, an author's book um, of um, the biography of Jesus that you may have written or that you know that an author has written as such? Okay. Now, uh, are Becky? you asking for a Bible study guide? Uh, no, no, no. Just if there's a sort of a biography of Jesus, like has everyone ever been to ah, write something like yes, that? Yes, yes, okay. Hmm, I've got to think about that. That would be a good, readable, something that you could give to a non-Christian as well, on just what was Jesus like. In my books, because I've written a number of books, I certainly talk about Jesus a lot, but it would be a chapter. Um, and nothing, uh, Neil, does anything come to your mind? I've had a, a lot of conversations over the years with people who've written, you know, something that might be called, you know, a short book about Jesus or those sorts of things where it's not such, it's not typically what you call a biography, but of course it's impressions that people have about the right. Gospels as they unfold. And so there would be a whole bunch of good books and I, uh, just off the top of my head, I'll, I'd have to go and, uh, and research those sorts of ones. But, uh, but just for, for Shelby... What we were talking about with the Gospels, we talk about those Gospels, uh, those four books at the start of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And uh, and Rebecca has said these are like four biographies. And when we use the terminology Gospel, what we mean is that it is biographical because it's different authors and their impressions of the life of Jesus but they're called Gospels because they're more than just a biography they're actually exactly. revealing something of the revelation of God and so it's more than a biography but yes in that basic sense when we read the Gospels we're talking about biographies about Jesus uh, Becky is that a good way of talking about that? Absolutely and shall be one book I just thought of I think the title is Jesus with Dirty Feet which sounds really weird, but it's IVP, InterVarsity Press in the States, and it is someone who has written a book for non-believers about Jesus. So look at IVP titles, and you might, I know there's probably a lot of books like that, but that's one that, that just came to mind. Shelby, thank you so much for your call. The talkback line remains open, 1-800-316-316, 1-800-316-316. Uh, interesting, isn't it, when we talk about biographies, because it's very much the usual case that someone might give the gift of a book and they might give a biography to a friend. 
And if we went through our Christian bookstores, we would find that every second book on the bookshelf is a little bit like a biography of Jesus. And if you think of it as giving a biography to a friend, it might be an easier way to pick a Bible, uh, pick a book off your uh, bookshelf at the Christian store and pass it on to a friend because uh, introducing yeah. them with a biography. You know, I should mention, I think, just because we ended up talking quite a bit about Bible studies, my Bible study in Luke is called Uncovering the Life of Jesus. It's it's a good way, um, the good book company, but Uncovering the Life of Jesus, and then the John one is Discovering the Real Jesus. Um, but it is, it just is such a help to be able, I mean, we... we to be able to expose people to Jesus, but also it's terribly important that we know a lot of times people will say to me, I don't even know how to bring up the topic of faith. Uh, and so that's something that people, I think, uh, will probably be helped with, because uh, I certainly address that in Stay Salt. How do we even bring it up? You know? Let's talk about that, because you're reflecting on what it was like to bring up this topic in conversation 40 years ago, and how things have changed over the decades, and how you might raise those ideas now. People say, uh, where do I start? Uh, where do you advise people start when you're actually breaking into a conversation about Jesus? Okay, let me give an example then. I think that would illustrate it a little better. Um, I was on a flight. Uh, th- this story actually just made it into the book because I had the experience pretty recently. <clears throat> but I'm, I'm on the plane, and I'm sitting next to a woman, and I had all my notes out because I was working on a talk, but she was quite chatty. And then I realized she really wants to talk. So I put my stuff away, and this is the first thing you do, whether it's somebody you know well or you've just met, shoot up a prayer. Prayer is foundational to evangelism. And so I just said, come, Holy Spirit, open my eyes, help me to understand um, uh, who she is, help me to be effective, help her, etc. Just very short prayer, but I really ask Jesus to come. Then what do you do? You need you begin any conversation where you're hoping that you can talk about faith. You begin by finding common ground. And the way you find common ground, in other words, you find out what do you have in common just as human beings? And that is going to come by asking some questions. So we're talking and I'm asking her a few questions and it's very easy to find common ground. Uh, And in this case, we both travel, we both love cultures and love languages, and so we had a very long conversation just about all the, uh, the countries we've been to, etc. Now, why is that important to find common ground? Because um, when they do find out you're a Christian, if you've really connected as human beings and you really like each other, they are going to be able to put you in a box. And they are going to be able to say, oh, no, she's a Christian, she's one of those, you know, whatever stereotypes they have. It's going to be hard to do because we've genuinely connected as human beings. Then what happens? As you begin finding common ground, people begin to share their values, their beliefs. And what happens then is they begin sharing their beliefs and you find out you have completely different beliefs. This is where conversation can really shut down. And so what you do 
is that you need to start asking questions. So, for instance, she said to me, you know, Becky, I really believe human nature is good. I think people are wonderful. Now, obviously, we have a, it isn't that we don't think people are made in the image of God. There is goodness, but we also know we're sinners. And so she goes, I just think people everywhere are good. What do you do? You don't say, how could you possibly believe that? I mean, for heaven's sakes, look at human history, you know. No. I said, well, can I ask you something? How do you feel the world is doing? What do you think about the state of the world? Now, what am I doing? I'm gently challenging that statement, but I'm not contradicting and I'm not being aggressive. She said, what do I think of the state of the world? Oh, my goodness, it's a mess. I said, well, okay, now help me out here. How can the world be a mess and it's full of entirely good people? And she said, hmm, that's a really good question. Let me think about that. She goes, okay, I think there's two problems. Now, this is actually how she analyzed it. I think it was quite American uh, because we're a very therapeutic culture. But she said, I think people either, many of us, either have addictions and, and we need a rehab program, or we're psychologically wounded and we need therapy. Don't you agree? Now, this may surprise you, but it's very important to agree where you legitimately can. In other words, people do have addictions, and people are psychologically wounded. The problem is it doesn't go deep enough. So she said, don't you agree? And I said, yes, I do agree with you. I think addiction and psychological wounding are are really big issues. And I said, but I want to ask you a question. What if you're in rehab and you overcome your immediate addiction only to find out that you have a deeper addiction still, and that is your addicted to yourself. What if we have a heart problem? And she said, oh my goodness, I'm addicted to myself and it's exhausting. She said, I think that's true, but Becky, she said, if, if rehab is the answer for addiction and therapy is the answer to psychological wounding, who on earth has the power to heal the heart? Where do you go for heart rehab? And I said, well, I said, that is a profound question, and I have to tell you, I have never found anything but God. I said, I wasn't raised in faith, I was an agnostic, but I said, um, one of the things that brought me to, to faith was because I knew, I came to believe that Jesus really was the answer. Uh, for the transformation of the heart. But I said, but that's a long story. My story's a long story, so... And she went, no, I want to hear your story. Now, why did I say... Uh, but that's a long story, because I wanted to know if she was really interested. And she was, and out of that, I began to share the gospel. I shared what God had done in my life. And it was interesting. She said at one point, now, she said, what does the Bible say is our biggest problem? And I said, I said, well, to use my own language, it's because we have a God complex. We keep getting ourselves and God mixed up. And she said, well, let me tell you what. I've got a God complex, and it's, it's really exhausting. You know, Neil, I find very little pushback to the idea that we have a God complex. And she said, but what's a God complex? And I said, well, we keep getting God and ourselves mixed up. And I said, actually, that's really what the Bible, what the Bible talks about is sin, that we were created to love God and know God, and He loves us, but we keep following 
ourselves and other things instead of him. In other words, you can use biblical language, but you begin on their turf, you begin with their language, and then as you connect on that level, you, you can be free then to share the good news uh, of Jesus. So it begins by prayer, finding common ground, asking questions, listening carefully, and then sharing the good news. Well, that is wonderful, issues of the heart, and God is the one that you can go to for that therapy, that <laughs> that healing of the issues of the heart. Becky, I had a number of callers waiting. We'll have to put a, a line under those calls and won't be able to take any more, but thanks for everyone who has called in, and thanks to everyone who's responded to our Facebook question today, and some a little confused. It is one of those open-ended, uh, is there a right answer here? It makes you think when you respond. There's been an awful lot of responses. Uh, Carmen says, the gospel is the gospel. Jesus is the same today as yesterday. Uh, Aaron said, God's message is God's message. As soon as we change it, it's no longer God's message. Uh, Joe says, God does not have to change anything about himself. It's us that have to change for him to even float this question is blasphemous. Okay, so uh, there's been a few criticisms on the people's responses today on our question, but the question is there to make us think about how we might uh, approach the sorts of things we talk about in our conversation. And I think... Mm that for listeners, uh, you can certainly engage with that question and perhaps you can uh, discuss those things uh, via the Facebook post today. Rebecca, mm. it's uh, wonderful to have you as a guest. Time has run out. I do want to say that the name of your new book is called Stay Salt. The world has changed. Our message must not. And the website that I mentioned a little earlier, Becky Pippet. B-E-C-K-Y-P-I-P-P-E-R-T dot org. And, of course, you'll be able to get a hold of Becky's book at every good bookstore. Stay salt. The world has changed. Our message must not. And you might even like to get a hold of Becky's first book that was published 40 years ago, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. Uh, Becky, it has just been wonderful getting your insights. Thanks so much for sharing your heart. Thank you for the stories that you're able to tell. Thank you for just bringing uh, the, uh, the common sense of what it is mm -hmm. to bring this message of the gospel to a new generation. You haven't lost anything. Uh, you've really got, <laughs> I think you've made a few new friends today, but uh, lovely getting Aww. your insights. Thank you so much, Neil. It's been a joy. And I hope we get a chance to talk again on another oh, I'd day. I love that. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.